The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I want to welcome you. Good good morning and, and thank you for joining us this morning. Um, listen, before we get to uh, our psalm, I, uh, I wanted to let you know of one thing we have coming up next week, and I want to invite you to something, actually. Um, so every once in a while here at Stone Oak, we have what we call a pastor's chat, and all that is is a fancy name for a longer service. No, I'm joking. At the end of our service, we stick around for just a few minutes where we get to share something that God is doing in our church. Next week... Um, we get to do that, and we get to celebrate an answered prayer next week. Um, we have been praying, we have been praying that God would um, bring us a, a student and, and children's director, and uh, he has answered that prayer, and after many, many months of searching, we, uh, I get to introduce you to our newest staff member next week. And so they'll be here, uh, Ross and Michelle will be here, I get to introduce you to them next week. We get to hear from them, meet them, come around them. I am so excited for what God has for us. These are so important, these ministries. And God is going before. I cannot wait to see what he's going to do. So next week, just plan on sticking around for two, three, five minutes. That's it. Uh, To meet Ross and, and Michelle. Um, I'm grateful for, for our time together this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, would you grab them? We're going to be in Psalm 3. Psalm 3. Um, and um, while you're getting there, um, there are certain Psalms that uh, understanding and knowing the context of when they were written and what was going on when these Psalms were written actually makes a profound difference in in for us to understand and really to, to, to sit in the psalm. Well, this is one of those psalms that knowing a bit of context, just, whew, it's beautiful. And so before we get into Psalm 3, I want to um, paint a little bit of a picture for you. And it's not a pretty one uh, at all, actually. Um, it's, it's, it's a story about David. It's a, it's a story um, about David. And as I tell it, I, I'd love for you to just put yourself in David's shoes. Uh, Just kind of imagine you being David in this moment that I'm about to describe, okay? So um, this is David's story. David was a king of Israel. Uh, David was in this moment having some pretty serious problems. Uh, He was having kingdom problems. He's having family problems, relationship problems. He had a ton of problems. I could get into a lot more detail, but for the sake of time this morning, we'll hone in on one son, his third-born Absalom. Um, things were not well. Things were not well in this moment. So um, there was a conflict. There was a controversy. There was even a murder. I mean, this is it was unfolding, and, and because of all of this, David and Absalom, they have a fallout Absalom leaves and and things are rough. Eventually, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem, but things were not fixed. Things were not fixed. It was the text is two years, and he didn't even see the king. Things were broken. But Absalom comes back. And um, unfortunately, though, as he came back, there was a plan that was set into motion, a, um, a conspiracy 
that was set into motion, uh, to a plan to take the throne away from his dad. And so he, he hatches this plan. It was subtle. Uh, the text says for like four years, our man Absalom here sat at the gate just slandering his dad, placing seeds of doubt and mistrust, spinning this controversy in, this, in, in his own, basically bringing down the whole kingdom through lies and deception. And here's the deal. We read Absalom's support just do, 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 grows. Like people believe him. People follow him. Four years of a behind-the-scenes conspiracy comes to a head finally in 2 Samuel. don't need to turn with me here, but in 2 Samuel 15, 13, a messenger comes to David and, and says, heartbreaking here, the hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. It's done. He'd done it. Then David said to all his servants who are with him, Arise, let us flee. Let, there's no escape. He, he puts this before them. And the king's servants said to the king, Behold, your servants are ready to do wherever, go wherever you, you decide to go. And, and this is where I want to bring us to this scripture. This is, this is sad. In verse 16, we read, So the king went out. So the king went out and all his household after him. So the king went out. This is a difficult moment that I'm not even sure we can really wrap our minds around here. For David, this was the loss of a kingdom. For David, this was not supposed to be happening. He was God's man. Like, God's chosen. And the king is running? This is humiliating. Where are you, God? The king went out. So the king went out. This was betrayal. This was, this was people believing harmful lies about you. People you are leading believing lies about you. And the king goes out. This is four years of deception behind your back. People who have chosen another. So the king goes out. This was a loss of future and security. This was a loss of all of that. It was fleeing from his home. The, the king goes out. This was the pain of a broken home. This is the pain of a son who was lost and who, if given a chance, would kill you. The king, he goes out. This is brokenness, lostness. There were no good answers here. There was no easy fix here. Things were out of control. And listen, I don't know where you are, what you've gone through in your life. I don't know what brings you here. I, but I, I can imagine that many of us have faced something that did not go according to plan. I would imagine that many of us have um, faced something that put our future, our security, our job in jeopardy. I would imagine that there are many of us who have, have faced something that has cut us to the core. I would imagine that many of us have faced some kind of betrayal, slander, where someone you love and you trust has come against you in some way, coming from people we love. I can imagine that many of us might even be able to relate to the relationship brokenness here, the relational bro brokenness here. 
when things just have gotten out of control in a relationship. There's no easy answer, and so the king, the king went out. The king went out. This is what David faced, not to mention the threat to his own life. Not to mention the threat to his own life. Um, this morning, the reason I bring this up and I go to 2 Samuel is because we're about to read the words that David prayed, the word that David wrote as the king went out. We're about to read this moment of lament. That's what Psalm 3 is. It's the lament while the king went out. And I want to say one more thing, just one more thing before we actually read our psalm together. Um, there's a good chance that as you look in your Bible and your translation, that you're going to see a five-letter strange Hebrew word a couple times, off to the side, most likely. It's the word Selah. You're going to see this word Selah. Um, now, um, some of you might not have this in your translation of the Bible. It's okay. It's because we don't technically know the fullness of the meaning of this word. Some translations have left this word out. But most of you, most of us, I would imagine, you're going to see this word three times in the text. Um, like I said, there's no good word-for-word -word English translation for this. But here's what we know. This word is a Hebrew word of instruction, of liturgy. Um, it's a musical term. And, and, and it's a marker word. And here's what Selah tells us. Selah tells us, instructs us to just pause and to reflect on what we just read. Uh, think of Selah. The way I think of Selah is breathe. Just take a breath. Slow it down. Breathe. Take, take a breath. Sit in this. Stew in this. I bring this out this morning because in our text, there's going to be a couple Selah moments. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to actually pause at these Selah moments here as we come to this psalm because I believe that these Selah moments, the timing of these moments is just incredibly beautiful and important. And so let's dive in. Psalm 3, remember, so the king went out and here are the words that, that, the, king, that the king said. Let's start in the first two verses. O oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Things are not good. There are enemies all around God. David here is crying out in honesty, and he's putting kind of all of it on the table. He's just holding it out, and you see in David's words this threat that he feels for his own life. I mean, things, people, they're rising up around me. You, you see in this the humiliation he feels? Where, as he said, hey, hey, many are even saying, there's no salvation for him in God anymore. I'm supposed to be God's man. There's humiliation here. Has God moved on? You feel the pain. You feel the brokenness here in David's words. It just, he's crying out in pain, right from his pain, and in that pain, Selah. David literally takes a breath, 
sits in it. Two important things here just to keep in mind as we look at this. See, God doesn't immediately, so often, he does not immediately just swoop in and remove us from pain and remove us from trial. There are times when we will sit in it. And it does not mean, church, that he is absent. It does not mean he does not care. He is sovereign. He is still in control. He is still good. There are times, though, that we are not given answers. And like David, we cry out in the midst of that brokenness and that mess and sit. There will be moments when we will face unanswered questions, unraveled relationships, unresolved problems, And we come to our God just saying, God, this is what is happening. And again, God doesn't just swoop in and say, let me fix all of it now. Let me change all of this now. Instead, there are times when we are invited to Selah with him in the pain. To Selah with him right in the midst of the trial. To come to him in our brokenness and pain, to come to him in our tears and even in our anger. Here's the deal. Your God's not a fair weather God. He doesn't invite you to come to him only when the weather is good. To come to him in the sunshine, no church. He sailors with us even in the pain. You have a sympathetic high priest. And like David, he can handle your honesty. So the second thing, honesty, honesty, honesty. Church, honesty is so much better than denial. There's a, I brought this song up. I pick on this song a lot. It's because it's so addicting. But there's a song on the Lego movie a couple years ago, Everything is Awesome. I think everyone knows it. That's awesome. Um, this song, it's so catchy, but I get the impression Some of us believe the lie like this needs to be the Christian mantra for life. Like we got to go around like everything is awesome. Everything is awesome. Life is hard right now. No, joy. Jesus, everything is awesome. (laughs) Hear me. There is joy in Christ. Christ is present. You have Jesus, but everything is not awesome. It's just not. It, it, everything is not awesome, and denial is not the gateway to Christian joy. The beauty of true Christian joy is that it's honest. It sees life the way it is. It's authentic. David does not say everything is awesome because it's not. He doesn't rush past the not awesome parts. No, he sailors. He sits. He sits in it. Brings it to the Lord. Like David Church, God can handle your honesty. God can handle your honesty as you bring it to him. So in these, this first Selah, these first couple verses, a few really simple basic questions right off the bat is, number one, um, do we pray? See, pray is, prayer is communion with God. 
It's, it's talking and listening, communing with our God. Do we come to our God like this, church? Do you come to God with your life? Do you selah in the presence of your God? Do you pray? And the second question is, are you honest? Are you honest before your God? Do you do the work of examining your own heart and your own life before him? Do you pray, God, search my heart, know my ways, know my thoughts? Do you come to him? Do you bring your life? Do you come to him when you don't have all the answers? And do you come with him to be with him and not just to get all the answers? Do you sail with him? And third, do you find your satisfaction in the presence of Christ in your prayer more than the answers to your prayers? Do you find satisfaction in being with Jesus in communion with Jesus? Or do you only find satisfaction in those times when you find answers? Let me remind us again that David here was having a Salem moment before his answers, before things were resolved, before everything was fixed. And how? It's because David was in the presence of God. David was in the presence of God in relationship with God, knowing God was going to answer. And that is awesome, church. That is awesome. That is, that will preach. There are times in the Christian life when we're going to find our satisfaction in Jesus well before we find answers. That's joy. That is faith. Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? They're rising against me. Many, they're saying in my soul, there's no salvation for him and God. Selah. Now, directly from this Selah moment, directly after presenting it all to the Lord, all the fear, all the humiliation, all the anxiety, after sitting in it with the Lord, David now says... Verse 3, but you, O Lord, you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory in the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. Let me just remind us, as we sit in this Selah, the situation hasn't changed yet. It's not like verses one and two were before Absalom got dealt with and three and four were after. The situation hadn't changed, but church, you know what did change is his joy. There's this confidence. There's this faith that comes from knowing God, from knowing who he is. And that's what gives David the ability right here in this moment, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the situation to say, but you, but God, but Yahweh. And I want to look at the four things he says about God, because I think they're just great. Um, the first one, my shield. My shield. I love this imagery, because a shield does not promise you that the attacks will stop. It doesn't. A shield doesn't promise you that there's not going to be arrows or swords. Like, that's not what a shield does. What a shield does is says no. But when they do come, you will not be touched. 
See, the promise is not Christian life is all awesome. There will be no trials. The promise is this, is that when you face them, when you face disappointment, betrayal, loss, fear, the loss of your job and the security that come along, came along with it, when you face a strain in your relationships, when you face things that are not easy, the promise is this, he is your shield. He is your shield. And ultimately, nothing can penetrate that shield. That's how we rest in the face of the storm, in the face of the attack. If we waited to rest until there is no attack, we would never rest. This is how, uh, in one of my favorite Psalms, David says in Psalm 23 that you can have this like feast at the table in the presence of your enemies. Who would feast in the presence of your enemies? Someone who's confident in their shield. The second thing. So first one, my shield. Second one is glory. I, this one is interesting because he speaks directly to the humiliation that we brought out earlier. Remember, he was saying, many are saying of me, there's no salvation in, in, for him and God. And David says here, now he is my glory. So in, in other words, regardless of what they say about me, Regardless of what they do, he is my glory. See, when we focus more on God's glory than our own, it's amazing how much more freedom and lightness that we experience in life. He is my glory, my shield. The third, the lifter of my head. This one probably is my favorite one. The lifter of my head. When we are down, when life has us in this place where our heads are bowed low, David says, Lord, you lift my head. See, he brings himself to the Lord in all honesty, all bowed, and it's the Lord who brings him up. So let me state the obvious in this um, we need to hear this. Um, this is emotional. Sometimes I think we turn Christianity into this cognitive dance where it's just knowing, 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 knowing. And, and the Psalms remind us over and over, no, 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 no. I want all of you. I can handle all of you. All of those emotions. This is emotional this is God caring for the whole person, not just us. See, we can spin our wheels to think we got to get in a good emotional place before we come to Jesus. Just get better, get better, get better before we can come to know our God. Or, or let me propose a different way. Come to God in your messy brokenness and allow God to lift the head. To lift the head. God, this is God being the great physician of our souls. Not just with the physical cuts, but the emotional ones. Lifting our head, doing the heart work. So here's the way I think about this. The shield, for me, this, this imagery, just as I sat with this, the shield, it, we get this imagery that he protects us from those, uh, those outside attacks, right? It, that those attacks that come out and they just go against the shield. I get the sense that from this, he just reminds us that I also protect from inside attacks. 
that I lift your head. As you're behind the shield and you have a temptation to drop your head, I, I lift your head. It is beautiful. The fourth is, is David says, I cried aloud and he answered me from his holy hill. So David here is confident that God has heard him, that he's present with him. And so you, you know what causes, what this causes him to do? Like when you, when we realize, but God, you are my shield. But God, you are my glory. But God, you are the lifter of my head. But God, you have heard me. You know what it causes us to do? Selah. <sighs> Selah. See, in the first section, we brought everything to the Lord, all the mess. In the second section, in the midst of the trial, now we Selah in who God is. <sighs> Selah. Then David continues. In our, uh, this third section, he says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. My boys love this. We read this last night. They love that line. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. So, first of all, I just love verse 5. I think this one sometimes gets overlooked in all the other glorious verses here. But verse 5 is one of my favorites because I think it just brings it all together. You know, when we're able to rest in to Selah in who our God is, as we did in the last section, when we're able to, you know, truly to, to do that, you know what it gives us the freedom to do? Take a nap. Rest. Sleep. I think it might be the most theologically significant thing that many of us can do. Take a nap. Sleep. You might hear that and you think, okay, okay pastor, that's stupid. Uh, it's just sleep. But church, hear me. It is amazing because the idea of sleep here for me just changes so much. It, it just, it cuts to the core because if you think about it, sleep is insane. It's so ridiculous. Like it is absolutely does not make any sense. What is sleep? Sleep is when you turn off your defenses. Sleep is when you drop your guards. Sleep is when you lay down all, we don't control much anyway, but when we sleep, we really lay down control that we think we have. Sleep is when we lay it down. Sleep is when you are the most vulnerable. That's what sleep is. When you stop doing, when you stop thinking, when you stop producing, when you stop fixing, and you stop defending yourself and controlling, and you lay down. See, if you're in the presence of an enemy, it would make no sense for you to put your sword down. None. Put down your weapons. It would make no sense for you to lay yourself down and to just lay down those defenses. It would make no sense for you to close your eyes. You're blind. It makes no sense for you to drift off to sleep. 
and to go into la-la land and all your senses are thrown off. It makes no sense to sleep. Sleep is insane. And here, here David says, I laid down. I slept. I woke again and the Lord sustained me. David says, look, Lord, I laid it down. Yes, the enemy is out there. Yes, the situation is terrible. But God, you are my shield, my glory, the lifter of my head, and you hear me. So I'm going to nap. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to Sabbath. That will preach. (laughs) I've known a lot of Christians who are so wrapped up in worry and fear and anxiety and stress that we're not even able to sleep physically. She's not even able to cut it off. And here's the invitation to you. Sabbath rest, lay it down. That's what God's inviting you to this morning. Here's, here's the reality. In Jesus, see, see, rest is a byproduct of trust. Rest is a byproduct of trust. So when we're able to bring all of our life to the Lord in honesty and Selah in that, and then we're able to sit with who our God is and we Selah in that, we trust in that, then sleep, church, that's a byproduct of having Selah a couple times. It reminds me of Jesus' words in, in Matthew 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden. I'm gonna give you rest, Take my yoke, learn from me. I'm gentle, I'm lowly. You're gonna find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is the invitation. All who are weighed down. So David says, I slept. I laid down and I slept. I woke and the Lord sustained me. Um, A couple things here. Um, Don't get offended. Uh, This reminds us that you're not as important as you might think you are. Here's what I, I, you might hear that thing. That is so rude. You might need it. Um, You're not as important as you think that you are, because this could be the most freeing thing I've told you all morning, honestly. Um, The world still goes around when you sleep. Right? Still goes, life still finds a way to function without you. It doesn't crumble when you give over the reins. Doesn't crumble. David said, I I slept, I woke, and Lord, you sustain me. It reminds us, sleep reminds us that we're not God. See, God doesn't sleep. We do. God does not sleep. And when we refuse to sleep, it might be a really good sign that we are trying to be God. He reminds us to sleep and to Sabbath as a way in his grace to show us you're not me. Rest, lay it down. He sustained me. He is who he says he is. And, and, and this leads David to be able to say, I will not be afraid of the many thousands around me. That problem's still there. I'm not going to be afraid of those who have set themselves against me all around, even when I sleep, even when I am vulnerable, even when I have my defenses down. I am not afraid. I'm not afraid to not be in control. Because I know he is. Some of us 
maybe just me. I need to hear that. Do not be afraid to not be in control because we know the one who is. I want you to sit with some of this parallelism here too in this last Salem moment. It says, I lay down and slept, woke again, the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And then second, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike down my enemies on the cheek and break their teeth of the wicked. Um, Notice the parallelism here. You have, I lay down, you rise up. You have, I take a nap, I sleep, you save You have thousands of people are against me, all around me. You're punching them in the face. You see the parallelism here? It's just when I get, when I lay down, you get up and you do all that. In your your battles and trials in your life, church, you are the strongest when you trust in the strength of the Lord. You are at your weakest. You are at your weakest when you trust your own. This is like what Jesus said to Paul. Hey, my, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. This is why Paul can say, when I am weak, I am strong. The Lord is better at fighting your battles than you are. He's stronger than you are. So the question here is, do you trust in him? Do you trust him and will you rest in him? The more we fight, the more we try to fix it and fix ourselves, the more tired and deep we get. Will you trust him? Will you come to him, all who labor and are heavy laden? The invitation is not to those who can fix themselves up to come. It's to come in all of our brokenness. And let Jesus give us rest. So we go down, we, we take a nap, he rises up. The invitation is for rest for your souls. Because here, here's, okay, as I was, as I was studying this week, and, and in our preaching meeting that we had, this, this thought kind of came up, and I think it's just wonderful. It's this idea that I think it's sometimes so much easier to trust that Jesus is the Savior of our souls for all eternity than it is to trust that Jesus is in control of today. In other words, I trust you with eternity. I trust you to save my soul. But will you, are you able to save today? I think it's easier sometimes, many times, for us to trust him with heaven and to struggle to trust him with our relationships, our jobs, our kids, our own health, our future, Rest for our weary souls is, is church, when, we're, when we are able to realize that we can trust him for eternity and today. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Salvation is here. It'll be there. It's here. <laughs> and we get this and we understand this. There is rest. If, since, your God is mighty to save you forever, church, he is mighty to save you today. And by the way, your God's not just concerned about saving you later. 
I don't know why we've bought this version of Christianity. God is not just concerned about your like future later and today doesn't matter, just do whatever and we'll see you later. That's not what we read here, like anywhere. Let this psalm be an example of this. It's not what we see here. He's present with us today. The Holy Spirit dwells in us today. He intercedes on our behalf today. You can trust him today. Salvation is today. In this psalm, David brings his whole life, his whole mess He brings it all to the Lord when he does not have answers and he sits before the Lord, he sailors with his circumstance. Then David has this but God moment where he recounts, but God, you're my shield, but God, but God, you're my glory and you lift my head and you, and you hear me. So I'm going to sail in this. And then as he sits, he's, he first sat in the honesty of, who, of his circumstance, and then he sits in who God is, then what, what does that do in a child of God? <laughs> when God's my defense, what attacker is worthy? When, when God is my shield, what dart is it that makes me nervous? When God is my glory, then what does it matter what they say? When God lifts my head, what situation is it that's too heavy? When, when God hears me, who, whom shall I fear? Salvation is here, and this is why David can say salvation belongs to the Lord in our last verse. Your blessing be on your people One final breath, (sighs) Selah. Look, the situation still hadn't changed. Um, Absalom, he's still coming. The enemies, thousands of them, are still there. Um, The relationship was still broken. Um, The kingdom, the future, still just uncertainty, no clear, no clear answers. The salvation, the situation had still not changed. But David had changed being in the presence of God. If you hear nothing else this morning, as we bring this to a close, if you, have, if you hear nothing else um, from this psalm, please hear me here. God is much more concerned about changing you, your heart, than he is about changing the specific situation that you're facing right now. Circumstances, church, they come, they go. It's going to be different tomorrow. Your soul, your relationship with him, that is eternal and real. And he's concerned about that. Much more than just changing the circumstances. Does he care about the circumstances? Absolutely. And, and in fact, we're going to read, you could read in, in 2 Samuel how God shows up. He's not, not interested in the circumstances but he is far more interested in doing heart work on you. In this psalm, here's the reality. In this psalm, we see a changed heart before a changed situation. We see a changed heart before we see a changed situation. It's not that God doesn't care about what you're facing. It's that he wants something bigger. He wants to do a deeper work. 
And as we, as we close, I, I got to say, in uh, spending time with this psalm all week, um, I was reminded of a very specific moment in my life, um, of a really painful time uh, in my own life, um, a time, honestly, that I felt betrayal like I'd not felt before. I felt loss. I felt uncertainty and fear, and I remember praying repeatedly and repeatedly, God, would you fix it? It shouldn't be this way. I, there were times when I was bitter. There were times when I was angry and broken and lost. It was, it was a really dark time. And I didn't get it. I didn't get what God was doing. I, I, um, I just didn't get it in the moment. And I was reminded of this time. Um, as I sat in this psalm this week. And you know what God showed me, though? Um, I'm a different man because of going through that situation. I'm, I'm just not the same. My uh, relationship with Jesus is deeper. My faith my stability in him is, is I trust him more. Um, I'm not the same pastor that I was. I, I, my dependence, my trust in him, it's deeper than it once was. See, God used that, that circumstance in my life for his glory and for my good. He changed me through it far before he changed the situation. And it's easy to be on this side and look back and say, whoa, God, look what you were up to. But imagine if in the moment we could just trust that he's in this. Just trust that he's, that he's working. Here's the three invitations of our text this morning. We're invited to three Salem moments. The first is to bring your life your circumstances with open hands and all honesty before him and to Selah. The second is to meditate on who our God is and to Selah. And then to be changed from the inside out, to trust God with the heart work and to Selah. Let's pray together. Lord, you, um, you never change. You were the God that David cried to in Psalm 3. And we know, we know, we know that you heard. You called him a man after your own heart. We know that you were there. We know that you heard. We know that you intervened. We know that you worked. And Lord, I just pray that in this moment, for all of my brothers and sisters here right now, everyone who is here, anyone who is listening to this, that whatever we face, wherever we are, whatever circumstances we face, that we would take heart this morning that we would bring them to you open-handed and in all honesty 
not in denial, that we would not rush past the hurt, just push it away and don't deal, but that we would bring you everything. And then in that moment that we would be reminded of who you are, who you have always been, and who you will always be. And that as we sit in that, that you would begin the heart work. That you would be our strength when we don't have any. That you would show up in our moment of absolute weakness and that we would just marvel at your strength. I pray that you would just give us a glimpse in your grace of what you are doing in each one of our lives this morning. But here's the reality. Even if you don't, we as your people, in faith, trust you. We sit in this moment and we rest in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.